Neil Robinson is going to come now and read to us God's word from Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God being something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. A certain king had two servants. He said to the first, I want you to travel throughout my kingdom and bring back a sample of every weed that you can find. To the second servant he said, I want you to travel throughout my kingdom for six months and bring back a sample of every flower that you can find. Six months passed, both servants returned to their king to the first, the king said, have you carried out my command? And the first servant says, I have, my lord. And I was amazed to find that there were so many weeds in your kingdom. In fact, there are weeds throughout your kingdom, everywhere I went. To the second servant, the king also said, have you carried out my command? I have, the second servant says, and I'm amazed how many beautiful flowers there are throughout your whole kingdom. In fact, there is nothing but beautiful flowers wherever I went in your kingdom. And the moral of the story is this, that you find what you're looking for. And so also do we in our lives. Last week we thought about humility um, we thought about the first four verses of Philippians 2, but I put it in the context of 1 Peter 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So what does humility look like? We knew from last week it's the opposite of pride. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 reveals what we are. We are glory empty. Uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And I said that the words vain conceit are literally empty of glory. And because we are empty of glory within ourselves, that sense of worthlessness and lack of significance, uh, we try to overcome it by four things. Drivenness, 
scornfulness, putting others down, willfulness, the refusal to take the advice of others, and self-consciousness, that whether we are arrogant or uh, more insular, we're still self-insular, we're still self-conscious. There's a self-consciousness that we have because we lack glory, we lack that sense of worth within ourselves. And so that's what we are, and then what we need, we need humility, which is literally self-forgetfulness. The humble person does not even realize they're humble because they're not concerned about themselves at all. There's a self-forgetfulness about a humble person. And so I finished last Sunday by saying, how do we change? And the answer is to glory in Jesus. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, is aware that there are divisions in it. There's some groups that aren't getting along. So he wants to to plead uh, to them to love each other and to care for each other. And that's why he comes to these words in Philippians 2. To humble themselves, to think of others before themselves. And then to make them realize how important it is. He all of a sudden goes into these deep, deep theological reflections about Jesus. How is Jesus going to make me and you more humble? And I said last week, because you cannot work on humility directly. Nobody can will themselves to be humble. Humility is a byproduct of something else. If humility is self-forgetfulness, then you cannot work on humility consciously. The only way you can possibly work on humility is to stop thinking about being humble and think about something else that is greater than you. And only then do you stop thinking about being humble because you are captivated by someone else. That's why Philippians 2 verses 5 to 11, Paul raises the gloriousness of Jesus that we may be captured by his glory and his glory as we worship him for how great he is. The byproduct of that is that actually we become less proud and more humble. So what do we read about Jesus here? First of all, we read that he emptied himself. Verse 7, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Now the word for made himself nothing is the word kenosis, which means emptied. Some other Bible translations might have. He emptied himself. And if you remember last week, we had the same word. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Literally, empty of glory, kenosis and doxia. That you are empty of glory. Do nothing out of your glorious emptiness that you feel within yourself. And here we have the same word again that we're trying to fill our emptiness that we feel and Jesus emptied himself of what he had. Though he was God, he emptied himself. Now the big question theologians have been asking for 2,000 years is what did Jesus empty himself of? Because it doesn't say. It just says he emptied himself. Some people say that because he was God, He emptied himself of his deity. He emptied himself of his divinity so that he could become a human being. That doesn't say that there. And we also know from the Gospels that his divinity shone through his humanity. 
Thomas himself says, my Lord and my God. The word for, that's elsewhere used, of the creator God. Um, Jesus can do things that only divine people, the divine God can do. Um, he can send the Holy Spirit. Only God has command of his Holy Spirit. So all through the Gospels, there, there are clues of Jesus' divinity. Jesus did not empty himself of his divinity when he became a human being. So what did he empty himself of? It says that he started being a servant. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to hold on to. Something to be grasped but made himself nothing. He emptied himself and taking the very nature of a servant. He did not shed his divinity, his divine nature. But he emptied himself of his glory by becoming a servant. Glory is weightiness, literally in Hebrew. When you sense glory, you, you, you sense something that is heavy, uh, that rests upon you, that takes your breath away, that forces you, you down, it humbles you. Uh, so therefore, when Isaiah sees the, the glory of the Lord, the, the weight of the glory of the Lord th- makes him think, I, I'm, I can't, my life can't survive this. I'm going to die here. The glory is so heavy. And so God's glory is is literally weightiness that takes your breath away. Jesus empties himself of the awe, the the glory that was his. And he becomes a servant in our world. He becomes that which does not evoke honour. He comes and he's lonely and he's poor. He is small, he's not a king, he's born in a stable. He becomes beatable, so he is beaten. He becomes rejectable, and so he is rejected. He didn't stop being God, but he emptied himself of his glory. And he had to do this if he was to become a servant. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Think about what a servant does. A servant serves someone who is important to them, greater than them, who has more authority of them. A servant does not uh, claim their own rights, but looks after the one that they have chosen to serve. That great verse that you all know from Matthew 20, verse 28. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He serves you. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He serves the needs of your life. That is what, why he has come. He's a person who totally gives himself to others. Touching the leper. Talking to a Samaritan woman. Eating in sinners' houses. And if I had time, each of those three areas are scandalous in the ancient world. Touching the leper. Scandalous thing to do. Talking to a Samaritan woman, a scandalous thing to do. Eating in sinners' houses, the shame of it. It's a scandalous thing to do. But Jesus lived his life giving himself for the sake of others. And he continually taught about giving yourself to all others. But it's not simply his teaching and his relationships that shows his act of servanthood, giving himself to others. But it's revealed most powerfully and the fullest extent of giving yourself for others is to give your own life for them. 
And it's revealed on the cross. So Matthew 20 verse 28 again. For the Son of Man came not to be served. But to serve the creation. To serve you and me. And how did he do that? By giving his life as a ransom for many. Our greatest need. Is that our glory emptiness. Because God's a part of our lives. Will be filled by a relationship with him. And the cross is God's answer. To deal with the enemy of death. And to deal with the, the sacrifice of sin that is needed. And so Jesus empties himself of his glory. He becomes a servant. And he becomes obedient to death. Made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. And then verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. And became obedient to death. And then Paul adds... Even death on a cross. Jesus in all his glory humbles himself by becoming into our world. By becoming a human being. And he humbles himself even more by becoming obedient to death. And he humbles himself right down in the pits by facing that death with the shame of a cross. Of the three official methods of capital punishment in the ancient world, crucifixion, decapitation, and burning alive, the three methods of capital punishment, the most shameful and the most brutal was crucifixion. To be scourged with a leather strap embedded with metal and pottery, to be stripped naked, to led out to a public place and nailed or tied to a large wooden beam for the world to see and jeer you and to endure hours, sometimes days of excruciating pain and then eventual asphyxiation. Such a death does not bear thinking about. But Jesus became obedient to death, our last greatest enemy, but he faced that even on the most shameful ways of dying ever conceived on this planet, death on a cross. And yet that's what Jesus asked us to remember when we take the bread and the wine. He's asked his disciples to remember the way that he died. That the greatest man who has ever lived, the greatest man that the disciples had ever known, when they saw him brought to the most shameful way to ever end your life, the most shameful death that the Romans could ever imagine, death by crucifixion, he asks his disciples to remember the way that he gave himself for others. Such a public disgrace. Archaeologists found a piece of anti-Christian graffiti on a Roman wall that used to be a prison dating from about the 3rd century BC. And so what you see on the left is the carved graffiti onto a marble stone kind of wall. And on the right is the, is the picture drawing of what that graffiti is. And the drawing shows a crucified man with a donkey's head, which indicates stupidity. And next to the cross stands a man with his arm raised in adoration towards the figure on the cross. And then someone has carved these words, which says in Greek, Alex Menos worships his God. Alex Menos worships his 
God. It seems that Roman guards in this jail, in the third century, have taken per, perverse pleasure in deriding a Christian named Alex Menos by depicting his Lord, the God that he worships, as a mule-headed loser. We don't know whether Alex Menos was a prisoner or maybe a, a fellow soldier who just happened to, tr- that, that came out that he was a follower of Jesus. In an honour and shame culture, what else could Jesus' crucifixion have meant? They considered a joke that a crucified man should be worshipped as the equal creator God of the universe. And a person who believes this must be a lunatic themselves. And the person who died like this, believing that they were God amongst us, must be, have been a madman. But three days later after Jesus died, he rose again by the power of God. And when the early believers met the risen Lord, they had to think, what, if God has raised him from the dead, then what is the significance of his crucifixion in God's plan? And the Christians then did not see Jesus as a mule-headed loser, but they took the opposite, that it was the crucifixion was not evidence of Jesus' utter humiliation, but the true greatness in God's eyes expresses itself in humility. The noble choice to lower yourself for the sake of others. Jesus knew what was ahead of him, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what does Paul go on to say in Philippians? Therefore, therefore, he is exalted above all. Verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. There's nothing higher than him. The highest place. And has given him the name that is above every name. There is no greater name than Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Whether they want to or not, every knee will bow before Jesus. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And everyone, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Because of what Jesus has gone through and how low he has gone for our sakes, therefore, God has exalted him above all things in heaven and on earth and all creation will bow before him and acknowledge that he is Lord of everything. Paul is writing to this little church, little house church in Philippi, Derided by the world out there for the, for the faith that they profess. And he's reminding them that this universe will acknowledge what they as a small persecuted community confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord and one day every eye will see his lordship and every knee will bow before him. And Paul wrote these words of the glory of Jesus to help us with humility. And in verse 5 he began, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. This is the pattern 
of your lives as a follower of Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. So he became obedient. He emptied himself, became obedient even to death. And that pattern of self-giving for others should be the attitude that we have in our lives. That the way up is down. That the way to be truly rich is to give yourself away. That the way to rule is to serve now. That the way to become infinitely happy is not to seek your own happiness, but to seek the happiness of others. That the most glorious thing of all, the greatest form of glory, is to give away your glory for someone else. I said the word kenosis, empty shows up twice. You and I are desperately trying to fill ourselves with glory because we feel that emptiness. Uh, When Jesus Christ, who had true glory, emptied himself of his glory so that we could be full. Because he reconciled us to God. So we have got to deal with pride. The aim of pride is self-glorification. To glorify oneself, to draw attention to oneself, to make ourselves look good. Pride is all about you and you alone and you don't care what others may feel or what your words mean to others or what your actions may mean. God hates the pride passionately. God refuses to, uh, to deal with them. Why? Because they refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. In a sense, the pride are contending for supremacy with God in their lives and they're lifting uh, their hearts against him. And that's why God opposes the pride. He, He combats them. Now, none of you would wake up in the morning and say to God, God, I dare you to fight me today. I dare you to oppose me. I dare you to resist me. I dare you to try and stop me. In fact, I beg you to step in the ring with me and see if you can handle me, Lord. None of you would pray that, but that's the way a proud person is in their attitude to God. They do not submit to the authority of Scripture, but they live by their own authority. And by their own authority, they choose which bits of the Bible they'll believe and which they'll reject. The prouder a person is, the more likely they are to live their lives without reference to God. They are their own God. They are the master of their own destiny. And that is why God resists the pride. In fact, he cannot bless the pride because if he blesses the pride, the pride would become more pride and others would follow them by being pride if they think that's the way you live your life. Your attitude should be the same as that of, of Christ Jesus who humbled himself, who gave himself away for others so that we could be full with the presence of God And the joy of God in our lives. God is a God who loves to bless. He loves to serve. He loves to help you in your lives. Ours is a God who wants to give us grace. But he only gives it to humble people. So how do we defeat pride? How do we become more humble? By making much of God the Father. And his son Jesus Christ. By learning to glory in Jesus As your greatest heart's desire. To make much of his great love for you. To make much of his salvation in Jesus. To glory in what he has done by humbling himself. To glory in the fact that all creation will one day bow before him. 
and that he and now is your Lord and Saviour. So no matter how insignificant you may feel as a follower of Jesus today, you are on the side of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this act of communion points us back to the cross. The way he gave himself for others at its most loyal and disloyal, shameful and lowest part. That at the cross we realise how great his love is for us. And therefore we commit ourselves to be his faithful disciples until he comes in glory. Let us pray. Father, this gift of humility, humility is not something we get if we ask for it or look for it. But we know if we look at you, look at Jesus' humility, look at what he has done for us. It catches a fire in our hearts and it moves us to tears and it changes us. That he would give himself to the extent that he has because he cares for each of us. We pray, Lord, you would make us like your son who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May we be that many today who acknowledge that he is our saviour and our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.